We're going to read Romans chapter 9 tonight, verses 30 through 10-4, where we ended up last time we were together. And then we're going to cover most of chapter 10 tonight, but we're going to also cover it again next week. We're going to break all of chapter 10 down into two different weeks of study. So in Romans 9, verse 30 through 10, verse 4, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now here Paul sums up his teaching that began in chapter 9 verses 1 through 5. Go back with me to chapter 9 verses 1 through 5 and look at what he had said at the beginning. He said, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I, wish, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But then as we just read, they had all that revealed to them, yet they tried to earn their own righteousness. And instead of submitting to God's plan of election, God's choosing how he saves and who he works through and it being him alone, and we receive it by faith, which was what his plan was all along from the beginning of the world. Because of the fact that they did not submit themselves to that and tried to establish their own righteousness. I'm going to say that again because that's going to be important for us later in our study tonight. Because they did not submit to God's plan for their righteousness and tried to establish their own. They missed out on this salvation that was available to them because it was always designed by God to be received by faith. Now in the verses that we've looked at in our study the last couple of weeks, verse chapter 9, verses, sorry, in verses... 30 through 10, 4, Paul had laid out that the Jews were missing out salvation because they're unwilling to submit to God's plan. But in the next section that we're going to look at, chapter 10, verses 5 through 21, we're going to see that the Jews had enough scriptural light in order to believe by faith, but they chose not to submit to God's predetermined plan. Look at chapter 10 and verse 21. It says, but of Israel, God says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So again, as we talked about last couple of weeks with God's plan of election and the sovereignty of God, yet man, man's free will, did they have an opportunity to be saved? Yes. Did God want them to be saved? Yes. He offered it. He provided it. He did it all. He revealed the truth. But they were unwilling to submit to God's way of doing it. Remember, he's the potter. We're the clay. He gets to do this salvation how he chooses. And if you humble yourself and submit to God's plan, you will be saved. Now, at the same time, before we go and break down chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, before we get there, I want to take this opportunity to warn us of the same trap for us as Christians. What have we been saying so far? They wouldn't submit to God's plan for righteousness, and they tried to establish their own. 
correct? I'm just going to talk to you tonight about the fact that there's a danger for us as Christians to fall into that trap when it comes to our growth in Christ, to our maturity in Christ. The Bible says that the only way we can begin to be saved is by faith alone in Jesus Christ, right? The Bible also states that the only way you can grow in Christ is by faith, really believing that the God who began the good work will finish it. In the same way in which you, when you were saved, said, Lord, I can't do this. Would you please give it to me? The Bible says that real growth for us as Christians only comes by us walking in obedience to God's word and his commands, trusting that God will actually have us do what he wants us to do. Many of us, myself included, were raised and taught that now that God saved you, you owe it to him and you have to do these things. And we were taught to establish our own righteousness through working really hard to be a good Christian. So what I want to do now is take you back to Galatians chapter 3. Go back to Galatians chapter 3. After having begun our relationship with Jesus by faith, we too many times try to increase our righteousness by falling back into legalism. And there are plenty of preachers out there that will take good advantage of that and teach that that's what you're supposed to do. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now listen to who he's talking to. He's talking to Christians. He says, Who's bewitched you? He said, After having begun in the Spirit, are you trying to finish it now in the flesh? And I have to be honest with you. Even though God saved me in 1973, I unfortunately had been taught in the churches I grew up in that it was up to me now to live for Jesus. And I tried. Oh, I tried hard. Oh, and I kept failing. And of course, then you go through the periods of, well, maybe I'm not saved. And Satan works you over. And it wasn't until years later that I finally understood the truth that had been there all along, that just as I could not establish my own righteousness by observing the law to get saved, I can't increase my righteousness by observing the law and doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. We need to know what God has said he wants us to do, and we, by faith, obey them 
not thinking, well, I'm going to try harder and I'm going to do a better job, but by believing that God will actually empower us to do what it is he asks us to do. We don't sit back and say, well, uh, you know, God's just going to have to do it. No, we have to act on our faith. That's why James says, if you say you have faith, but there's no actions to follow it, that's not faith. So we still walk in obedience, but I no longer walk in obedience to God to prove to God how much I love him or prove to myself how good I am. I walk in obedience to God, trusting that God will give me the power and the ability to do what he's asked me to do. And folks, when I stopped trying to get better as a Christian, I started to get better as a Christian. I walked in obedience by faith, and I start to see God do amazing things. That's why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, so I say, walk in the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because the Holy Spirit fulfills His promise to empower us, and He who began the good work in you is the one who finishes it. We have begun by faith. We will grow by faith. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Look at verses 20 and 21. A very familiar passage, but look closely to what Paul said. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. For years, many of us were taught that the, that in order to get better, how many of you have ever heard preachers say, if you do something for 21 days, you'll develop a habit. And once you've developed the habit, then you'll keep doing it. Is that faith in the spirit or is that the law? That's the law. That's your effort, your works. Folks, the Bible's very clear that there are things God wants us to do. And just like we had to say, I can't, but you said you would. We then walk in obedience to his command, saying, Lord, you said you would produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. So you've got to stop saying, I need to be more patient and say, Lord, you said you'd produce patience in me. I believe you will. And I'm going to be patient as much as I can. And you've got it. You understand what I'm saying? We walk in obedience, trusting that he will do what he said he would do. When it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to struggle against sin and self-control in these areas, you know, I was talking with a man years ago who was struggling with sexual sin. And, and I said, you know, the Bible says one of the evidence is his self-control. He got mad. He goes, are you saying I'm not saved? I said, no, listen to what I'm saying. I'm saying Bible says, though, that that's something that the Holy Spirit will produce in us. If you are saved, he'll do that. You can't say, well, I can't stop. Well, then that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that. He will give us victory over the flesh. Don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Well, I tried and I can't. See, that's the problem. You tried. And so as much as we could spend our time talking tonight about how the Jews tried to establish their own righteousness, all of us need to be warned and reminded that the enemy wants to come and now make us think that it's up to us to live the Christian life out now. I'm going to tell you something. There's only one Christian life that's ever been lived, and Jesus lived it. But he wants to live it out again through you and me on a daily basis when we believe that he will. All right. Go to Galatians chapter five. Look at verse one. Go for it, Sheila. You may not know this, just a little sidebar. Mm -hmm. Just shall live by faith. That's the verse that Martin Luther, you know. That made him all of a sudden wake up to, because as you know, he was raised in the Roman Catholic Church that was teaching you have to do these things to be righteous the seven sacraments, and all these different things. 
Exactly. All of a sudden, God unlocked for him the book of Hosea, the just shall live by faith. Yep. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God opened his eyes to this truth. Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, what, what's this yoke of slavery? Well, go to Colossians chapter 2. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 20 and 21. If with Christ, sorry, not 20 and 21, verses 6 through 10. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits or principles of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now let me stop you real quick. Did you hear what he said? He said, look, your growth in Christ is going to happen as you, in the same way in which you began your, your salvation by faith in him. You walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Don't get tripped up by people and preachers and teachers that will teach you the seven steps to a good Christian life. You ever heard that kind of preaching? Is that the spirit or is that the flesh? That's the flesh. Oh, it sounds good and we want, someone just give me the rules to follow. And Jesus says, no, I've set you free from the rules to follow so that I could live through you. Some of you would say, okay, I tried to let Jesus, and it didn't happen. Well, did you believe that he would, or did you set him a timetable? Do you see what I'm saying? He's not as much a hurry, in as much a hurry as we have been taught. He is interested in us learning how to trust him and to walk with him. And sometimes he says, believe that I will. But Lord, I asked you on Wednesday, and it's now Thursday, and it didn't happen. Believe that I will. Lord, it's Friday now and it hasn't happened yet. Believe that I will. Lord, it's Saturday and it hasn't happened yet. Believe that I will. And then finally you just get to that point where you say, all right, Lord, you said you're going to do it. And if it doesn't happen until next year, that's okay. You said you would. I believe it. And then all of a sudden, his power is released. Why? By faith. By faith in his promises. Submission. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at this yoke of slavery. Chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits or the principles of this world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. 
You've heard me say in times past, I've preached on this grace that we're in in Christ and have had preachers say, I know it's true, but don't tell them they'll abuse it. Because you hear Paul saying, look, you don't get better as a Christian by avoiding these things and doing these things and not doing those things, but by trusting in Christ. Listen to me. People could take that freedom and say, I get to live however I want. Oh, by the way, there were preachers in the early church that said that too. They said, hey, you've been set free in Christ. There's no such thing as sin anymore. You've been forgiven of all your sin. You can't sin anymore. You can just do whatever you want because you're already forgiven in Christ. And they taught licentiousness and all this stuff and sexual sin. And that's not what the Bible teaches either. Yet, we can't put people back under the law to try to establish their own increasing righteousness by doing things enough. Just like the Jews would not submit to God's righteousness and tried to establish their own we, all of us, have had that tendency to think that after salvation, it's up to us to establish increasing righteousness. And Jesus says, no, that's my job. And if you believe that I will and do what I say and trust my power, you will see growth in your life. You will see growth in your, in your life. And folks, this is going to be a daily struggle. That's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we are to offer our flesh, our bodies, as a living sacrifice daily. Oh, but what does it say? Not only does it say don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Does anybody know what the rest of that verse goes on to say? Then you will what? Exactly. You'll know what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Did you catch that? When you lay your flesh on the altar and say, Lord, I'm not going to try to get better as a Christian. You said you would make me better. You would begin it. You would finish it. And you've got a timetable and you've got a schedule. Lord, I lay myself before you today. Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to do? I am following you. I'm not following human traditions and plausible arguments and wait seven steps to the Christian life. I'm putting my faith in you. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life? Have you ever noticed how all these passages talk about growing up into Him who is the head, following Christ? Don't let anybody lead you astray into all these other things and principles to follow except following Jesus. And I cannot stress enough to you folks, the more you learn how to walk with Jesus and rest in Jesus, all the things He's promised He would do, He will do. But the more you try to help Him, finish his work, the more he stands back and says, knock yourself out. And I did that for years, even to the point that as a successful pastor, I was pastor of this here, this church right here at the time that God got a hold of me. And I would sit in restaurants and I would look at people laughing and I'd think, man, I wish I could laugh. I would preach on joy and peace and think, boy, I wish I knew what joy and peace really was. One day I was driving down US-1 right over here, across the bridge here, and I said, Lord, if this is all there is to the Christian life, take me home. Take me home. And he got a hold of me, and he said, you're working real hard to be a good Christian, aren't you? I said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, how's that working out for you? And he began to teach me how to rest in him. And folks, his commands are not burdensome. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And when I stopped trying to work hard for Jesus and believe that Jesus would do what he said he would do, he's done more through me. He's accomplished so much more than I ever would have imagined. But our flesh wants credit 
Just like the Jews wanted some credit in their establishing their own righteousness. I fast so many times a week. I tithe everything I do. I do all these things, Lord. Lord, didn't we preach in your name and in your name cast out demons? Didn't we do? Lord, don't I get some credit? And how many people are going to meet their creator one day who grew it their whole life to church? And when he says, I don't know you, they're going to say, wait a minute, I was on this committee. I went to this meeting. I never missed a Sunday. I did all the things that I was supposed to do. He said, that's the problem. You tried to establish your own righteousness. And many of us who are saved, who have begun in the spirit, are missing out on so much that God would do if we would stop trying to help him get us there and believe that he will. Let's go now to Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read to you verses 5 through 21. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. We'll explain that in a little bit. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend to heaven, or who that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, let me just stop you real quick. That's giving people a bellyache. What does that mean? What it's simply doing is showing the foolishness of our own effort. How many of you could ever brought Jesus down to the earth? You had an ability to do that? By the way, that was God's plan before the foundation of the world, that he himself would come down and take on human flesh. Could you control that at all? No. And how many of you had the power to go get Jesus and raise him from the dead? No. In other words, God's predetermined plan of salvation by faith alone in his provision for man's sin, the one that he had determined before the foundation of the world that would do it for us, God's election of how he was going to do this had nothing to do with any of our own effort. It's all him. Verse, nine, verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I'll make you jealous of, an, of those who are not a nation and a foolish nation. I will make you angry with a foolish nation. I'll make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, we won't get all the way through this section tonight. We'll finish the rest of this next week, and I can't wait to show you. Next week, we're going to deal with that section of how can they hear unless someone preaches to them. And I'm going to show you that what we've been preached from this passage is the exact opposite of what we've been told. We've been told if we don't tell them, they may never hear. I'm going to show you in the full context of the whole of Scripture and Romans 10 that actually Paul wasn't saying that. 
Paul was saying that God would never expect people to believe something they had never heard. And the context shows that. But we'll get to that next week. Right now, we need to look at closely at what Paul's saying here. Paul begins by quoting from Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. By the way, we already saw him quote from this passage in, in Galatians 3, 10 through 14, a little earlier tonight when we did that little detour uh, looking at Paul's writing in Galatians. But go to Leviticus 18, verse 5. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, the scripture says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So God says, keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you'll live. Right? I mean, that can't be any more clear. Oh, but that's why we need to build our doctrine from the whole of scripture. Go now to Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Paul had even quoted, like I said earlier in Galatians 3, 10 through 14, that those who, uh, follow the, live, oh, sorry, who obey the law will live by the law. But in Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, look at what it says. Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. All right? The Bible teaches very clearly, if you want, to be, you want to be righteous in God's eyes, you want to be declared righteous by God by observing the law and keeping His commandments, you can live that way, but you have to keep it perfectly. Anyone who breaks any of these commandments is cursed. So, for those of us who want to be righteous in God's eyes by doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing, has anybody here never broken God's law? As you know, the Bible says clearly there's no one righteous, not even one. There's not even anyone close to righteous according to God's law. James chapter 2, verse 10 says you're able to keep all of God's law, yet stumble at just one point. You're guilty in the eyes of God if you broke, as if you broke it all. Why? Because... Those who want to live by the law have to keep it perfectly. And once you don't keep it perfectly, you are no longer able to be given righteousness by the law. Go to Ezekiel 18. Look at verses 1 through 4. By the way, these are all Old Testament passages that were laying these truths out. And you're going to see tonight and next week that God, through, Mo, uh, through Paul, is laying out how the Old Testament all along said the righteous shall live by faith. Ezekiel 18, look at verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to me, and he says, What do you, that you is plural, what do you all mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine, and the soul who sins shall die. They were all making this proverb. They were all making this statement in Israel. When, dad, when, when a father eats sour grapes, their kids are the ones who deal with the, uh, the, the, the sour grapes uh, affecting their teeth. Well, didn't God say that the sins of the father will be passed on to so many generations? Well, they misunderstood. They were saying that people were being punished for what their fathers had done. Now, let me just say this. When we sin, the people around us have consequences without question. I mean, Adam and Eve's children never got to see the garden. 
But were Adam and Eve's children punished for Adam and Eve's sin? No. They're going to be dealing with their own sin. That's the way it's always been. The soul that sins is the, sin that, the soul that shall die. Well, let's put the whole of Scripture together now. You want to be declared righteous by the law? You, have, you want to live by the law? You, you've got to keep it perfectly. And if you don't keep it perfectly, you're under a curse. And if you don't keep it perfectly, you have missed the mark. The Bible calls it sin. And you are destined for what? Hell. We're in trouble then, aren't we? But the whole point, as we've seen, and I'm going to show you this in just a second, the whole point is that God's law was to show us our inability to keep it. It actually was gracious of God and merciful of God to give us the law, to show us what had already been there all along. The fact that we've already seen in our study of Romans that all those people between Adam and the law of Moses, all those people died. But they didn't break any commandments. Yeah, but they sinned. They sinned. And that's why they died. They should have known. Okay, well... They're dying. Everybody's dying. Well, that's because everybody has sin. Well, what do we do then? Can anybody get to heaven? Can anybody be declared righteous? Hey, that's a great question. Oh, by the way, God's got a plan for that, and it's been his plan all along, and we can trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he'd already said the seed of the woman would defeat it, the enemy. But I get ahead of myself. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we all know it real well. Look at verses 10 and 11. Again, quoting from the Old Testament. No one, as it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Well, where did that, where did that come from? Go to Psalm 14. Now, this is going to be important for us tonight and especially next week. For years, people have thought that the first time God ever said that no one was righteous was Romans chapter 3. But actually, that's the, probably the first time we'd heard it. But it had been in God's law all along and it had been in the Old Testament all along. Look at Psalm chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So when Paul in Romans 3.10, that we all love to quote, how no one's righteous, not even one. When Paul said that, was that the first time God was letting everybody know there's no one righteous? No, he had been telling them all along. He had been telling them way back in the law of Moses. You want to live before God, you got to keep his commandments. Oh, by the way, you got to keep them perfectly. And if you don't keep them perfectly, you're going to die. Hopefully you would wise up to the fact of, I can't. I've tried. Oh, by the way, even as a Christian now, I still am tempted to sin. That's why Paul in Romans 7 said, the things I want to do, I don't. Things I don't want to do, I do. I got this problem. I, in my inner being, I want to serve God. But I got this flesh that's right there with me. And it's waging war against the spirit within me. And I'm in a constant battle. And I can't win. Oh, but greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And if I learn how to submit myself to him, there will be victory. But how many of you who have struggled with alcohol over the years tried to stop drinking? But you drove by the bar anyway. And you lost. You can't. You need a heart change. 
You need the God who's begun his work to finish it. He's given you righteousness, now let him manifest it. He's made a change in you, you're a new creation, but for the world to see it and for you to see it, you gotta let him finish and let him do it and believe that he has begun this work and that he will. Yes, sir. Is that parallel in Matthew to that Psalm, uh, Psalm 14? Paul, uh, Paul said, not good, not good, not even one, the parallel to Psalm. That's in Romans chapter 10, verses 3 and 11. Romans 10, 3 and 11, Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Sorry, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, and Romans 14, 1 through 3. That's the parallel there. Did I say Psalm? I'm sorry. Psalm 14, 1 through 3 has been quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. I get going some fast sometimes, and my, my dad used to tell me that I had diarrhea of the mouth and constipation of the brain. But <laughs> you heard Matthew, so all right. As we've seen before in our study, God's purpose in giving the law was to fuel man's sin problem so he could recognize it or become conscious of it and seek God for his help in dealing with his sin or to seek God's mercy. Go with me to Romans again. Look at chapter 3 in verses 19 through 20. Romans chapter 3 verses 19 through 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what's the purpose of the law? To show us we can't keep it. That's the whole purpose of the law, is to show you you can't keep it. Go to Romans 9. But by the way, there are still denominations that will tell you you have to worship on a certain day and you have to not eat these things or not drink caffeine or all these different things in order to be righteous. No, these things don't make us righteous before God. It's faith. Now, he may tell you or I to not do certain things in obedience to the life he has for each of us, but that's not what makes us righteous. We're righteous because of Jesus. And we're able to live out the life that he has for each of us as we walk in obedience to what he wants us to do according to his word and according to his spirit. Go to Romans 9, look at verses 14 through 16. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. In other words, God has shown us that we can't keep the law. If anyone is to be saved, God has to not only give us the grace and the goodness of being saved, he also has to show us mercy because the law said that if you don't keep it perfectly, you should be put to death. Correct? So everyone is worthy of hell. Yet what do we say? I can't believe that a loving God would send anybody to hell. We're all supposed to go there. Because of God's law, because of this is his world and his plan. And he set it all up and he put it all in motion. And he said, oh, by the way, I've had a plan to fix your problem all along. But you have to humble yourself. You have to humble yourself and come to me and seek my mercy. What did the one that was justified in the prayers of the two people, the Pharisee and the tax collector, what did he say? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need help. I need you. Go back to Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 21 through 26. He's already shown us that the law's purpose was to make us conscious of our sin 
and our inability to be righteous in and of our own and to seek his mercy. He'll have mercy on who he chooses to have mercy. Who does he choose to have mercy on? All who humble themselves and say, I need mercy. Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Now this was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, we're laying this all out for this reason. Paul is saying all of this in Romans chapter 10, that the law had already shown us this. It's, it's, it's near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart. This is word of faith that we profess. It's simply saying that if you believe in the Lord, you'll be saved. That had been there all along. And man's inability to have righteousness in and of himself was there all along. The Old Testament has shown this. Paul then goes on to show that the scriptures have been showing that salvation is not by man's effort, but by faith in God's provision, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and look at verses 1 through 20. Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 through 20. Listen to what God's saying. Listen to the heart of what God's trying to show them. He says, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, talking to the Jews, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, and with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he'll gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you're outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he'll take you, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed and that you may possess it, and he'll make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord with God with all your heart and with all your soul and all, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law. When you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul for the commandment this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you neither is it far off it's not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us does that sound familiar and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over to the sea and, and, and for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it but the word is near you it's in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God and by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, you will not and not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over in the Jordan to enter and possess. 
I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and the length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give them. Don't miss what God says here. He says to the nation of Israel, when you return to me and you worship me and follow me with all your heart, I will forgive and I will bless. Now, if they are returning to him, have they kept his commandments perfectly? No. All along he had shown them, you can't keep these perfectly. But what I'm looking for is a repentant heart. A true confession that agrees with me that you need me and my righteousness. And you just love me with all your heart. Well, Lord, how much is that? He goes, you don't worry about that. Because the moment you start saying how much is that, you're trying to, in your own effort, determine how much is enough? How much is enough? I, don't, I love the fact that he says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because I'll be honest with you, that's all stuff I can't measure. Can you measure it? I can't measure it. So I just love him the best I can. And he says, good, that's all I was looking for. Give me what you got. Give me what you got. Oh, and by the way, I'll increase your love for me. That'll be something I even do. Go to Psalm 51. He's been showing them all along. I'm looking for your heart. Psalm 51. But they thought that he was pleased and, and they were given righteousness by what they did. Psalm 51, David has just sinned with Bathsheba. You do realize that the man that was described and is described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart was a murderer. <laughs> he was a philanderer. He was a bad dad. I mean, we, you could definitely show us some better people that obeyed God better than David. But he had a heart for God. He wasn't perfect. He struggled with his flesh. Yet, when he sinned, the man repented. He wasn't like, oh, sorry about that. No. Listen to Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was bought, brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I've had this sin problem in me from the beginning. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Oh God, I'm a good guy. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, out of the outflow of that, I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. You notice how he doesn't say, Lord, I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to go and give. I'm going to go back to church. Lord, I'm, and isn't that things we've said all these years? I'm going to start doing this, Lord. I'm going to start being more faithful. I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. Lord, I'm going to pray to you more. Lord, I'm going to establish my own righteousness. David says, no. After you do this work in my heart, then I'll teach transgressors your ways. 
and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I'd give it. You'll not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Go to Psalm 40. Look at verses 6 through 8. Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Go back to Psalm 34. Look at verse 18. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Do you realize what Paul's saying here? This is important for us tonight and next week. When we get to how can they hear unless someone preaches to them, you're going to see Paul has been saying all along, God has said it in his word, and he's sent preachers. He's blessed them. He's shown them this truth, but they are not willing to submit themselves to God's plan for righteousness. Paul then goes on to show that the one whom God desires all to put their faith in has been shown to them as well. Go to Romans 9 again. Look at verse 33. Romans 9, 33. As it is written... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Look at Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, there we just saw it again, will not be put to shame. But there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. By the way, he's not just preaching and saying, everybody that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's quoting the Old Testament again. This whole section is full of Old Testament quotes. Go to Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Isaiah 28, verse 16, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Well, where does it say shame? Well, keep reading. Go to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Verses 25 through 27. Joel 2, starting in verse 25. I will restore to you the years the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no one else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Look at the next verses. Then it shall come to pass afterward. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. 
Even on male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember when Peter was preaching at Pentecost? He said, these people aren't drunk, like you think. It's only, it's only nine in the morning. <laughs> Actually, this is a fulfillment of the beginning of the fulfillment of Joel. And he'll pour it out his spirit on men and women. And he'll come to indwell them, and all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, the Jews as a nation will be saved, ones that survive the tribulation, when they wake up and they humble themselves and they call out to him in mercy and look on him whom they've pierced and they regret what they have done. And God will give them mercy and he'll save all of Israel that is left. And he'll bring them back into the land and come and set up his kingdom. But for us right now, what has been offered to Israel and they rejected because they tried to establish their own righteousness is available to everyone. We're in the church age. We're in the time of the Gentiles. But it's the same plan that has been there all along. You have to submit to God's plan for righteousness. And that is by saying, I can't be righteous, but you said you would give it. I can't live it once I've been given it, but you said you would. And that is what God is looking for. That's what he's looking for. Peter, under the filling of the Holy Spirit, preached at Pentecost and showed the nation of Israel that this one that the Scriptures foretold, who would be pierced for our sins, is Jesus. Go to Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 14 through 41. Listen to what he says, how it's all coming together. Acts chapter 2. Verses 14 through 41. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan, election, and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. 
being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Go to Acts 16. Look at verses 25 through 34. Acts 16, 25 through 34. Paul and Silas have been beaten, thrown in the inner cell, and God knocks the jail apart, but they don't move. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said the same thing. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before him. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Did you catch what's going on here? As the word is preached, the word is powerful all by itself. And if people are cut to the heart, it's not because you explained it really good. It's because the word took root. Remember, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Folks, as you and I walk in this world today, and by the way, it's easy to shine as a light today, is it not? It's so dark, you could just be a flickering candle and be noticeable in this place. But you can't be showing any light if you're trying to be a good Christian. You're trying to shine the light of Jesus. No, let Jesus live through you. Well, well did he really do that? Well, did he say that he would? Did he not say that he would manifest himself to us and through us? Believe him. Well, Jim, it's easy for you because you've been to school and... No. If you ever sat in class with me, you'll know going to school isn't what did this. My wife will tell you. 
When we were first married, I had already been to seminary for one semester, and she, at the time, was thinking she might become a Christian counselor, and so she signed up and got accepted at the seminary as well. And to save a little money as newlyweds, we decided we're going to take the same classes, because that way we wanted to buy one set of books, and we can share. And she and I would sit in class together, and she'd want to sit down at the front and take notes. And I'm like, I can't sit down at the front. Let's go sit in the back. So she, being patient, would sit with me in the back corner of the room. And the whole time that she's scribbling all these notes, I'm drawing cars. Seriously, I'm not even writing anything down. I'm just drawing cars. And then when I can't take it anymore, I pretended to have a coughing fit. And I'd ask the professor if I could get up and go get a drink. And he'd say, sure. And then I'd whisper to Becky, I'll meet you back at the trailer. Bring my books when you come. I've had enough class for today. And I'd go get my drink of water and I'd never come back. I wasn't a great student. I didn't get this way because of seminary. I got this way because of believing what Jesus said. And it took a few years. I tried to help him for too long. But the more I believed that he said he'd do it, the more he's doing it. Go to Romans 10, verses 11 through 13. One more time, and then we'll wrap up for tonight. Come back next week if you can. I can't wait to show you what Romans 10, 14 and following really says. Can't wait. I'm so excited about this. But listen to Romans 10, 11 through 13 one more time. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you remember what Joel said? Do you remember what Peter said at Pentecost? He'll even pour out his spirit on male and female servants. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter where you were raised, what part of the world. Everyone can be saved. This has been God's plan all along, but you have to humble yourself and submit to his plan. And he's predetermined ahead of time. There's only one way for you to be made right. And that's by faith alone in his provision for your sins. And you don't help him. You just receive it. And when you receive it by faith, he empowers you. You ever thought about that? Why he gives us his spirit? He could have just given, declared us righteous, marked our names in a book, and then said, do the best you can until you get to heaven. No, he gave us his spirit so that he would empower us to live the life that he has for us. Too often I've heard Christians say, I'm doing the best I can. That's the problem. And I've said to people for years, if God gave you his spirit, did he give you his spirit so that you could do the best you could? Or did he give you his spirit so that you could do the best he could? Folks, do you believe that Jesus is the only way you can be saved? And have you given him your life? Have you, you don't need to be saved again, but have you given him control on a daily basis, believing that all the things he wants to do in and through you will be done? As we close, let me just say this to you. What has happened in this ministry through the Revelation book that has gone out is blowing our mind. We don't advertise it. I don't call churches and say, I'll come teach the book of Revelation. But we just had another thousand books delivered to our house today because we ran out again. As the word is going out and people are finding out about this book and they're saying, how can I get it? And we're saying, we'll give it to you. What? We'll give it to you. And God is having the book go to places I didn't even know existed in the world. 
If we tried to come up with a plan to get this Bible or the word of God out and we strategize, we would never do half of what God has done without our help. We've just said, all right, Lord, you told us to write it. Get it out where you want it to go. And he's doing it. And I want you to enjoy that same kind of excitement. Walk with Jesus and watch him do stuff through you without you even setting it up. I love you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.